Welcome to Bad Table Talk. I'm your host, Oliver Niehaus, and this is where we break down all of the current news and talk about everything you aren't supposed to talk about at the dinner table, that being politics, religion, money, and more. My goal with this series is to provide easy-to-listen, informative segments addressing the most pressing issues we face and to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. As always, thanks go out to my friend Oscar Gregg for providing the music you hear, and you should all check out his single, Acrobats, which will be linked in the podcast notes below. If you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. And feel free to also share your thoughts with me via email, which is linked below as well. So sit back and relax while I talk about how utterly fucked we are as a country. I'm totally kidding. Sort of. All joking aside, regardless of where you stand politically, I hope everyone is motivated by what they hear to research more about these issues and feels ready to contribute to making our nation a better place for everyone. Thank you and please enjoy. So hello everyone, thank you for tuning in to Bad Table Talk with Oliver Niehaus, I'm your host, and we're going to be going over just something that I kind of came up with unpromptu. I definitely didn't just wake up and decide to record this out of anger. I don't know about anger, but rather maybe just some disappointment with the world that has been going on. Uh, so this is probably one of the worst ways to wake up, and trust me, I've had my uh, fair share of unfortunate or unpleasant wake-ups. I've woken up to my brother banging on a drum set outside my room at 6 a.m. <laughs> I love you, Ethan, but this was bad. So I was looking at Snapchat stories, and I, I saw this graph come up, and it was like comparing crime rates and... It was very 1350-esque. I'll explain that in a second. So the graph in itself basically showed that less than 1% of black deaths were at the hands of police officers as to invalidate the issue of uh, black people dying at the hands of police officers unjustly. And at the bottom of the graph, it said, and cops are the problem. I think this is a little bit misleading and very kind of just disgusting to think about. Just for thought experiment purposes, um, if you get offended by this or if this upsets you, good, because that's the point of this. It's supposed, it's supposed to show how ridiculous that assertion of saying that cops um, aren't the problem because of 1% of deaths, therefore it's not an issue. So imagine if I were to say, um, so let, let's talk about 9-11. I mean, obviously a tragic event. Um, 2,977 people died. So almost 3,000 people died. Since then, over 11.5 million people have died of cancer. What if I compared cancer deaths to 9-11. Well, 9-11 makes up only 0.02% of deaths. And terrorist attacks are the problem? If you realize how disgusting of a comparison that is, imagine how families of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, and countless others feel when their family members' deaths are diminished due to a completely unrelated factor. So, when I said it was 1350-esque, I was referring to this common phrase that is used, and it is become quite the meme. I mean, a meme implies that everyone knows it's a joke. It's true to everyone with like half a brain. Well, I mean, honestly, you don't need a brain. You just need to like exist and not be a piece of shit. So this is this is particularly special to conservatives. So here's the 1350 meme. I would suggest you put on some good headphones for this because this 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 is going to be uh, an experience unlike any other. So here it go. Here it goes. Despite making up 13% of the population. Black people commit over 50% of all crime. <laughs> I can barely get through that with saying it with like a straight face because there, there's so many reasons why this is an issue. One, it's completely false. Black people don't make up 50% of all crime. According to 2017 FBI crime statistics, black people make up 27.2% of all arrests for total crime and over 53% of all murder arrests. 
Keep in mind, these are arrests, not convictions. However, in that same vein, they also make up nearly 50% of all exonerations and are seven times as likely to be wrongfully convicted of murder. These sources and these links will be linked in the podcast notes below for you guys to take a look at. However, black people do commit disproportionate rates of crime. So I hate it when people on the left try to say that there is no disparity or disproportionate rate of crime or try to say that it can all be explained away by bias and inherent racism, implicit racism. Yes, much of it can be. Much of it can be so, but not all of it. So even when accounting for all variables, black people still commit a disproportionate rate of crime. Checkmate, you say? Well, hold the phone. In every single problem, there is a what and a why. Not just problem, conversation. There is a what and a why. The why is often missing in these discussions. There are many things throughout history that have contributed to African-Americans being disenfranchised, that being slavery, Jim Crow, redlining, the war on drugs, which the war on drugs in particular, I, I did a plug for my previous podcast series last time, and I'll do it again. The first episode of my previous series called Actually Making America Great, which I'll also link in the podcast notes below, goes in depth on the war on drugs and discusses how it was, how it was designed to disrupt and disproportionately affect African-Americans. So I suggest you take a look at that. So, but a lot of people like to say for a lot of things, oh, slavery, get over slavery. It was so long ago. Jim Crow, all these things, they're all over. We're all equal now. Okay, well, one, you're just wrong. But other than that, let's talk about not all of the ways. I could never get to all of the ways in which African-Americans are disproportionately affected in our society due to systemic racism. But let's just go over some of the ways that African-Americans are disproportionately affected. So from the simplest aspect, if we just look at median household income, whites make more money, exponentially more money than blacks do, even with the same levels of education and the same job. The wealth gap is enormous. 2016 median wealth by household, white household median income was $171,000. Meanwhile, black household median income was $17,100. That is a disparity over $150,000. Think about that. That is enormous. Let's go, let's go even more in depth on that. If we look at 1968, the divide was, was just as prominent now as it was then. So, so much for... Trump's economy. This is all pre-coronavirus, by the way, so things have been exacerbated even more, which we'll take a look at in a little bit. But things have been completely blown up because of that, and so much for Trump's economy benefiting African Americans when blacks are more likely to be unemployed and underemployed. 16.7% of African Americans are underemployed or unemployed, compared to 14.2% of whites. Now, you might say, oh, Oliver, that's only a around 2% difference. That's that's nothing. Okay, well, what you're forgetting here is I'm not just talking about unemployment and underemployment. I'm also talking about median household income, which I mentioned here. I'm also talking about that they don't participate in the stock market or retirement savings. Home ownership is different, which we'll all get into. Rate of denial for mortgages due to redlining. Transportation, education, healthcare. All of these things contributed together and many more, which I couldn't fit into this disproportionately affect every single aspect of African-Americans' lives. So it's not just unemployment. It's unemployment that leads to other factors. So in that same vein, as I was talking about, African-Americans or blacks don't participate in the stock market as much and retirement savings as whites. 
36% of African Americans own stocks compared to 60% of whites. There's a drastic difference. Moving on to home ownership, 41.3% of blacks versus 71.9% of whites own homes. Again, your home is how you accumulate generational wealth. It's, it is, for many people, their largest asset is their home and something they possibly pass off to their children as a place to live. So if African Americans don't have that at the same level as whites, they're less likely to be able to accumulate generational wealth. And in that, and if we're talking about homes still, if we're talking about redlining in particular, the rate of denial for mortgages is higher for African Americans. 27.4% of African Americans are are denied mortgages versus 11% of whites. And due to that, due to the fact that they can't get mortgages because they can't accumulate wealth and credit from borrowing money, they have consistently higher mortgage rates, which means they're paying more money on these mortgages that they, if they end up getting them. So that, in a sense, is just one of the aspects or a couple of the aspects in how African Americans are disproportionately impacted. Let's move on to transportation. The highway system, when constructed, largely skipped over majority black neighborhoods. It was built for white people, not black people. And that still has effects on today when we look at how much we're investing in certain aspects of our infrastructure. Our federal infrastructure investment from 20 or from 2008 to 2015, we spent $59 billion on highway transit, which we only spent $10.8 billion on mass transit, public transportation. And the reason this is this is significant is because is because nearly a quarter of African Americans households do not own a car versus only 7% of white households. So when you're spending more on highway transportation, that requires that people own cars. If people don't own cars, they can't have access to that. And therefore, less infrastructure program and less funding is going to African American communities because they cannot access that. If we're talking about people who are in the workforce, we're talking about parents in the workforce and children under six with all adults working, 75% of African-American households, three-fourths, have all adults working full-time, while 63% of white households have all adults working, meaning that 37% of African-American households, or white households, mind you, have an adult that isn't working. If we look at daycare in particular, Daycare for a four-year-old infant makes up 42% of an African-American's median household income. That means they're paying over 40% of their income just for daycare for their child because they have to work full-time to provide for their family, which costs them more money. In many ways in America, in almost every way, it is more expensive to be poor than it is to be wealthy. As ironic as it sounds... Because when you are poor, your choices are limited. You might have to buy your groceries from the local grocery store, which they're more expensive and not buy in bulk because of lack of a car for transportation, as we talked about, or lack of initial cash on hand. Therefore, this keeps spiraling. It's snowballing. What seems like one little thing becomes a larger and larger and larger thing as more choices are taken away due to poverty which is systemic and generational and was designed to disproportionately impact African Americans. And a huge part of that is the education system. If we're talking about education in particular, districts with primarily non-white demographics receive $23 billion less in funding than primarily white districts, despite serving roughly the same number of kids 
what does this mean? Well, this the less amount of money that they receive leads to less money for teachers, fewer choices, less access to extracurricular activities, school supplies, etc. Lower property taxes lead to lower funding due to low-income neighborhoods having lower property taxes. And even adjusting for income, poor white students on average receive $1,487 more per student than similarly situated blacks. And for the exact numbers, that's $12,987 for poor white students versus $11,500 for African-American students. Let's talk about discipline in particular, because that's a huge thing when it comes to education and disproportionate rates. 83% of black male students have at least one disciplinary infraction compared to 59% of white male students who have at least one disciplinary infraction. And when we're talking about suspension, 12.8% of black students have been suspended versus 6.1% of whites. Now you might ask, why is that Why is that significant? Well, if we look at the correlation between suspension, suspensions and ending up in the juvenile justice system, 23% of students with at least one suspension end up in the juvenile justice system versus 2% of students without any suspensions end up in the juvenile justice system. So there is a huge disparity in correlation between having a suspension and ending up in the justice system. We're talking about the school to prison pipeline here, which is a huge thing that exists. Let's move on to something. All of these relate. The issue is these are all inextricably linked. But when we're talking in particular about less, less income, that leads to more food insecurity. 26.1% of African Americans, over a quarter of African Americans are food insecure, do not have enough food, versus 10.6% of whites. Okay, let, let's move off the issue of race for one second. 10.6% of whites are food insecure in our country. Isn't that insane? That we have a system in which one out of 10 white Americans in particular, or anyone, or one in four African Americans cannot eat. If that does not show you the failures of the system of capitalism that we live under right now, then I don't know what does. And due to the fact that African Americans predominantly live in urban communities that are much more tightly packed with less sanitation, more than half of the African American population breathe unclean air due to the increased pollution in higher population. In that same vein, let's look at the coronavirus pandemic. Which group of people is getting sick the most? It's African-Americans because they have to keep going to work at their job, which exposes them more because, as we talked about before, more African-American families have every single adult in that house working. Who's dying the most? African-Americans die at a rate that is higher than whites because they have less access to health care. And they are the largest percentage of essential workers working in the midst of this risk of our health care system. They are less likely to have insurance, less likely to have access to good care. They have more premature births of their children, shorter life expectancy, and checked more of the chronic conditions due to this pandemic. In every single way, they are being disproportionately impacted, and that is due to the system that is in place. And you might ask, we kind of got off of the topic of, not off the topic, I was talking about, you know, disproportionate rates of crime. So let's talk about that. So if you're that fucked over by a system due to things like the war on drugs, which Nixon's own advisor, John Ehrlichman, admitted was designed to disrupt black communities, then you're damn right they'll commit more crime. The drug war encouraged gangs, which encouraged crime. It was designed to do that. This isn't exclusive to black people. This was 
The same was true with the Irish when they first came into America. They were forced into ghettos, and thus a gang culture emerged as the only way to get ahead, and this was only fueled by prohibition. And if you want more comparisons between prohibition and the drug war, which are inextricably linked and similar, I would again suggest that you go to my other series called Actually Making America Great, where it talks about that. So I'm convinced of this claim of denying systemic racism stems from only two places, ignorance or willful bias. I charitably assume ignorance, which is why I make these segments. So, whenever someone brings up black-on-black crime, I want you to thank them. Thank them for proving that when humans are put in a system that disproportionately affects them, they will act in disproportionate ways. When it comes to a white kid who shoots up a school, we jump through every hoop possible to explain the why behind that student did what they did. And we also don't bring up white-on-white crime to invalidate the severity of school shootings. But we immediately blame black people for the increased criminality when the system itself is set up to fuck them over. Individuals act in accordance with the system, and to suggest otherwise is completely nonsensical. So I think I was able to uh, get my frustration out. Um, I hope that you learned something from that. I hope you learned that a lot of these arguments that are made, such as black on black crime and many things trying to divert from the issue of police brutality and systemic racism are literally just cries to try to remove responsibility from oneself due to the system. It's easier to say that these events have no relevance to what's going on right now because it 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 removes the responsibility to create meaningful change within our society. So thank you for listening. Again, you've been listening to Bad Table Talk, and I really hope that you guys enjoyed this segment. And please stay tuned for more episodes like this in the future. I'm sure there will be many more like this coming your way soon, as well as please leave a rating in Apple Podcasts and leave your thoughts. Other than that, hope you all have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.